Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, when you cover sports for a living, let's face it, it's a charm life, right? But some events are better than others, and each one comes with its own deadline, logistical challenges, whether you're talking about a World Series, a Super Bowl, or a Stanley Cup. Well, today, we're going to tell you about some of the best and the worst sporting events we've reported on with Tom Jones, my former radio partner, longtime columnist of the Tampa Bay Times, now with the Pointer Institute on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And, Tom, we're going to take a trip down Misery Lane, as <laughs> I like to call it. Uh, actually, you know, and, and I do I want to preface this because people go, well, there they go again. You know, they, those guys. Free food. About, that's right. That's right. Complaining about that's how jobs. people talk when they complain. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way. Or, or as, a late, as a great late Steve Dumig used to say, you know, yeah, you, you, you freaking people, you freaking people. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be a little bit bitter here, but also but also wax poetic, I'm sure, about some of our favorite ones as well. And we've been to a couple. Uh, I think <laughs> I'm not gonna do the the history. I used to love, and, and believe me, when I when I write my farewell column, which is probably sooner than later. Um, did you do one, by the way, when you left the Times? I, can't I remember. did, but you know what I did? I didn't. T- I didn't make it much about me. I, I you made it about your wish list, like what you. Yeah, it was a wish for, list, right? like what I was hoping for. I, but I did mention like some of my favorite people that I covered, who I didn't like covering. Uh, you know, fa- favorite. Of, I did talk a little bit about my favorite all time events. Okay, that I covered, yeah. Because I always like when you know you get the. I, I've been to thirty four Super Bowls yeah, and twenty six Olympics. You I know, didn't and, do that. Which you'd have to be really old because they're every four years, but um, so anyway, we won't we won't uh, we, we won't list them. But uh, there are truly some that are better than others, and I don't know if you want to start with best or worst because as your career evolves, you know when you start out, you don't exactly get the cream de la creme. See, that's why we should start there. We should start. I with think the worst. so. Yeah. I think so. No, you're right because we all when we all started. Uh, I actually saw f- two photos recently. One was, I think it was the last day of the St. Pete Evening Independent, which is the first paper I started working Remember that very well, ago. yeah. The and Evening was a Independent. Photo, yeah. yeah, there was a photo with me. And I'll tell you, there were some people in it that were really interesting. Uh, I, um, there were David Steele, who went on to become yeah. a columnist in, at the Baltimore Sun. Bob Herrig uh, was probably in Bob it, Bob right? Herrig was in that photo, because he mm-hmm. was, and then he's gone on now to ESPN. Mm-hmm. Um and then Gretchen Letterman, David Letterman's uh, sister, right. was the managing editor, executive editor. Of the, of the, but I also my, saw my oh my! <laughs> but I also saw another old photo um, of the old uh, St. Petersburg Times staff. I I wasn't in that photo. You were, and there was there must have been. I don't. Uh, it was crazy how many people. Tom, were there the was photo. almost forty people in that department on that yeah. in that photo. I believe. And, and thirty seven of them had mustaches, had seventy <laughs> mustaches or eighties mustaches. Good, good stashes, including <laughs> me. You yeah, know, the Tom, first you had the Tom Selleck stash going, man. Like, and it that was, was that was the eighties, man. That, that was bad? it. 
I had that I, too. I, all I needed was a red Ferrari in in Hawaii. I was there. Um, that what I noticed was how much hair we all had, which was great. There was, was a lot of hair in the photo. It was yeah. big hair band time, so we all we all were kind of like you know hair over the ears, kind of the the we all it, mustaches were big, right? Um, and it had to be nice and you know thick, thick mustache. But yeah, it was. Uh, it, but it was quite a group of uh, of talent there. I mean, you had again. Um, People like Michelle Kaufman and you know Hubert Mizell was in there. Hubert Mizell and you know there we'll go Tom on. Zuko, right? Yeah. Tom Zuko was a lot of talent. Um, Don Banks, the late Don Banks, Don, the late Don Banks was John in there. Romano, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now you so. said there were four people that were in that photo. There was it three or four that are still? It was you, John, and I didn't know if there was anybody else in that photo that was still with the Times, still kicking. Yeah, well, with, uh, it's still Anthony in, Anthony Perez. Oh, Anthony Perez. Okay, yeah, who's, who's, in a, that? who's an editor? Okay, who's an editor? Um, there you go. And I don't know if uh, I don't know if there was there might be one other editor in there too. I'm not sure. Right. But right. think about, it. but about three or four. Right. Right. Total. Yeah, which is remarkable because that was many many years ago. So some of us are still there. Oh, Mark so, Topkin. Mark Topkin. Mark Topkin. Obviously, yeah. there you go. That was the one. Yeah. And so yeah. Who looks the so, same, by the way? Hasn't Just changed. More yeah. hair. I have, yeah, I have less hair and uh, and and no. You don't look that much different. You look good. You look good. I saw that photo. Anyway, um. yeah, it was interesting. So okay, so when you start out like those days, first of all, when I came out of college, like like it was you had there were no jobs, so you had to sort of become a correspondent first and foremost. And Mm -hmm. before you became a staff writer, you would get paid by the story. You'd cover high schools, and they give you so much for Friday nights and that sort of thing. Right, no benefits. And not you were just nothing. getting paid just by the article. Yeah, no by the yeah. story. Yeah, and, you and it was like twenty five bucks a story stick. back then. Well, that was it. Yeah, and Maybe you'd go 30. anywhere for that. You know, just oh, yeah. for the experience, right? Like, and that's when we all got locked out of high schools, and we talked about that in one podcast. You know. Uh, where, where the yeah. coach tells you, oh, yeah, you can use my office, and then all of a sudden the lights start shutting out. In the, yeah, because the they lose by 20, and they want to get the hell out <laughs> exactly. of it. Yeah. And now those so. promises that they made three days ago when they thought they were going to win, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can stay as long as you want. Let's go wrap it up. <laughs> we're right. locking up. Great rolling the cost. <laughs> uh, never forget it. But but in the beginning, before you even get to some of those better high school games, like you know, I can remember I was so over my head. In fact, it's it's sort of – it's sort of a good metaphor because I was drowning. Um, one of the first assignments I got when I went to the Times, and I was pretty sure I was a correspondent at that time, was remember the remember the powerboat regattas that they would have on Lake Magori? And yes. I, I almost think it was a rite of package, passage, right? Everybody that, did that. that. that I did oh, that. I know. That's what I'm going to say. Like, you had to take your turn with the powerboats, which – Look, I I'm not a motorsports guy. I mean, I I know I got to put gas in the car and take it to have the oil change. That's as far as my expertise goes. Um, and I have a boat, but it's not a it's it's just a boat, right? It's a it's not like one of these things. Um, but they would race these things at 100 miles an hour. Uh, and the thing that first of all, they send you out there knowing next to nothing about powerboat racing. Well, first off, they fool you by going, "Hey, Rick, what are you doing on Saturday?" You're like, exactly. "Nothing." Exactly. Hey, can you go out to Lake Magoria and catch? Sure. Like, oh no! Like as soon as they say Lake Magoria, <laughs> like I fell for it. Like I thought they were going to send me out like to some, like uh, you know, East West Shrine game or something. Like no, yeah. you're going to the powerboat regatta. 
It's it's a little like the uh, the shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's in Indianapolis. The first time they tell, oh, I'll try get a lot of that shrimp sauce right there on that cocktail, and then you take it, and it's nuclear, and we get somebody <laughs> every time we go to St. Elmo's. It's like that with the Powerboat Regatta. So you go out there, and the late, great uh, Ray Holloman was our was at the time the motorsports writer, um, and his daughter Beth worked at the Times for a while there too. Um, yeah. But uh, so Ray was like, ah, it's easy, you know, and I don't know why he wasn't going. He had done it for years, but obviously he was begging out. And he, he kind of gave me like the lay of the land. You know, there's different classes, right? There's this class and that class, a boat and, you know, this size engine and outboard and inboard. And, you know, it, it seemed all fairly organized until you get out there. <laughs> and, and then all you see is just really fast boats <laughs> and you don't know the difference, right? Like, it's just like, well, how is this boat? Now, what class are they in? And then they, you know, the, the, the racing people take care of you in the sense that they hand yeah, you results. Yeah, they great PR people and stuff, yeah. But you don't have a clue what you're looking at when they hand you the sheet. Like, you know, you have no idea. So you wind up writing stories about the guy that turned over, you know, and yeah. survived it, you know, like at some point. And then there's always Miss Budweiser's in there. I don't know why, but the, the big boat called, called you know, Miss right. Budweiser was always in so anyway, we did that, and then Ray ended up rewriting my story better than I had written it because I probably made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So he cleaned it up, and I just remember him saying, like, something, something more than you could shake a prop at. And I thought, well, that's a good, that's a clever line. Like, you know, I get it, prop, like, that was yeah, good. Yeah, right. Um, so Lake McGoy, that was that was one that was tough. I same with me. I had to go down. I, I, I don't think I ever did the one at Lake McGoy, but I went down to like Sarasota one time off the coast, and they had they had to race on the on the in the Gulf of Mexico. But my least favorite, there were a couple of high school events that I just didn't know again how to do them. So the first time I ever covered state cross country, I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how the scoring worked, but it's pretty easy. You have like <laughs> low score wins. Yeah. So if you have five people racing. Yep. You know, they for, count your the team, first five. for your team, for your team, and somebody first finishes five. first, that's one point. And the you know, if they finish, the next person finishes seventh from that team. Now it's eight, points, eight. seven to one. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then so whoever's a low school wins. Right. So I covered it. What I didn't realize is they all come in at the same time. They're all you know, they're all, and and then they all like pack up and leave. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can't. Am I supposed to do the math myself here? <laughs> And they have somebody who's there counting it, but they give you the results. This is like, now remember, this is the 80s. They don't have like computer yeah. chips. They don't have immediate results. Like you'd find out the results like two hours later. And, and I'm like, well, how am I supposed to talk to people? Back yeah. to high school, yeah. How am I supposed to talk to you? And then the other one was I covered state wrestling one time. Oh, God. And so I'm covering it. And I had, I had fr- a friend in town and his wife, and they were visiting. And I'm like, I have to go cover this state wrestling. It, it was supposed to be all day and night Saturday. Yes. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, hey, we're going to get out of here. Wait, what time is this supposed to end? Someone said, ah, we'd probably be here till about 9. Mm-hmm. I'm watching the board, and I'm seeing their things, and I'm like, this is going really fast. Like, we're going to be out of here by, like, 4 o'clock. This is great. And so the, it ends, and all of a sudden, someone looks up and says, okay, we're ready for wrestlebacks. I'm like, wait, what are wrestlebacks? <laughs> it's like a loser's bracket. I'm like, wait, we got another round of this? Oh, yeah. So, I, yeah, I got home like at 9 or 10 o'clock or whatever. I had no, again, I had no clue. There's a famous story. Ira Kaufman tells a famous story, our buddy, for, uh, who used to work for UPI, the old UPI, remember? Yeah. United mm-hmm. Press International. He's from New York. He never really covered NASCAR before. And he said, one of my favorite stories, he was uh, covering the Daytona. His first assignment in Florida was to cover the Daytona 500. And he told our buddy Fred Goodall from the Associated Press, he said, Fred, 
he said, as the race is almost coming to an end, he said, in in about five minutes, this race is going to end. In about six minutes, there's going to be an alert that goes out on the UPI wire. It says, <laughs> alert, breaking. And it's going to say, the winner of the Daytona 500 was, and he goes, and right as of this moment, I have no idea who's winning this race. <laughs> and that's the way the regatta was, too. And, and like wrestling yeah. and all this, like, I don't know who's winning. How do we know who's winning right. these things? So that right. those were the worst for me. Those were the worst. Of Absolutely, you had weight classes and all of that. Wrestling did like if you could when you got enough seniority in the group of correspondents, or if you were lucky enough to become maybe a full time staffer and be in a bureau as the as the editor, you would always assign the wrestling to somebody else because you knew, man, that was a whole weekend. Like that was that was starting at nine a.m. and finishing, like you said, at ten p.m. You know. Absolutely. Which and also I got smart one year too. Friday night football was the thing. That's the big thing oh, everybody yeah. oh, wanted yeah. to cover. So one year we were in uh, the Tampa Bureau and it was I was there and John Romano was in that bureau mm-hmm. and um, Don Banks mm-hmm. and a guy by the name of Tom Brew, who I think does yeah. work for one of the Sports Illustrated. First guy, first guy I worked with in Clearwater was Tom Brew. He came to me and he says, hey, we need somebody to do volleyball to be our volleyball writer this year in Hillsborough County for high school. And I'm thinking for high schools. And I'm thinking, well, does that mean I miss Friday nights? He's like, well, here's the good news and bad news. The bad news is, yeah, you miss Friday night football. Mm-hmm. The good news is you got to do volleyball on Friday. Night. But here's the thing. Those things start at seven. They're over like eight fifteen. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, yeah, I'll do volleyball. Yeah, yeah. And it was something that's back when Tampa prep and Berkeley prep were just, uh, Randy and Carol D'Agostino were like the, they, they were the rival coaches to one another. It was, it was tremendous. Plant had a good team. And so um, and so I actually – that was fun to do all that. So that, that was one of the better ones. So volleyball was always a good one. But no, wrestling, swimming, I never wanted any part of. Track mm. and field, because it was just all day. You were there all day. A lot of events, a lot of names. Yeah. And like you said, trying trying to find those people in the infield of a, <laughs> of a track meet was like – you know, very difficult. And I Needle did some in a st- haystack. You're just, who right. am I looking and I did, for? I did some state track meets, which was seen because it was such a big thing, right? It was like, hey, this is for the state title. Like, you might want to pay attention to make sure you get this right. Um, and, again, it was an awful lot of results. And so uh, the other one, the, the other part, and this is also sort of motor racing, was the 12 hours of Sebring. I went down there one time. And I don't know if you've been to Sebring. I went to it. I went at once as a spectator. I've Did never you covered go? it. Well, it was interesting to me because, you know, where Sebring is, you're not expecting, like I had not been to the racetrack. I had played baseball down there, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit, um, central, south part of the state. And you go there, and um, the first thing you notice as you're driving towards the track is you see the most unbelievable cars in the world, like Porsche and you know just Ferraris, all, Ferrari and all the all these major foreign, mostly foreign made, a lot of foreign made sports cars that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're the spectators. Yeah, they they're coming to watch, <laughs> and they're driving into the parking lot, and you got your Toyota Corolla. You know, you're like, <laughs> well, I guess this is the way I go. Get behind, get between the Porsche and the Ferrari, uh, and they're looking at you. You know, like who is this guy? So. And and the reason is, of course, all those automakers uh, of, of the high powered, uh, you know, high performance sports cars are there uh, to race twelve hours of Sebring. But again, first of all, anything that's named twelve hours means you're going to be there for about twenty four. 
Okay. Right. Yeah. Because because they're telling you it's twelve hours of racing, and they have two like they two have different drivers. classifications going on, yeah. but they have different classifications running on the same correct. track, right? You have like two races going on at the same, same time. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Yes, you have different classes, and uh, and I was look. It was after midnight. I was lost. So you know, and then you got the long drive home after that. There there were some though that like that have changed over the years. And one of them, I was a big, obviously, you know, I played college baseball. I, I loved baseball my whole life. That was my thing. And early on in my career, um, I would be the guy that got sent to Omaha because Florida state and Miami in particular, then later Florida were always in the world series. I think Mike Martin went there every year. I think, you know, Miami, you know, won a national championship or two. Ron Frazier, um, yeah. Ron Frazier was a coach back in the day. And, um, and so, uh, our editor at the time, I think it was Bob Silver, sent me. He knew I liked college baseball, and he was like, hey, you know, what the heck? We had money money for days. Um, go to Omaha, cover this cover this uh, tournament. I was like, well, how long does it last? Goes, ah, typically, it's, a, it's scheduled for about a week, 10 days, something like that, if there's some rainouts, whatever. So I was like, okay. So I went up there, and, and uh, you know, again, hot summer Omaha. The Omaha Royals had, were on the road because they had to use Rosenblatt Stadium. And it was great. I mean, I'm watching college baseball, you know. Um, I'm, I'm seeing guys like, you know, back in the day, Robin Ventura for Oklahoma State and people like this. So um, the, what they didn't tell me was is, is now it's a made-for-TV event, right? Like now the tournament is going to end at a certain time and they're going to have a sort of a winner's bracket uh, evolve pretty quickly and you're going to play a series with somebody, two out of three, and then – the, that'll determine the World Series winner. Back in the day, it was just like straight up, you know, double elimination. And they had and like eight teams would go there, right? Something. So you'd have eight teams, you'd have double elimination. And the way they would do it is like tournament would start on a Monday and there'd be four games. And you're like, man, I'm going to be here all day. You know, I'll start at noon, get out of there at midnight, right? So you're covering four games and, and uh, you're exhausted. And maybe you're focusing on Florida State and whoever or Miami and whoever. But then the next day is the loser bracket games, and there's two of those. So Monday, four games. Tuesday, two games. Well, if they got a rain out, rather than kind of combine them, you know, and make them play double headers or something like that, no, 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 no. Then that means Wednesday is two games. They just move everything back <laughs> a day? Everything went a day. Everything got pushed today. <laughs> they did. They did not try to finish this tournament. I swear to you, I was in Omaha long enough to pay taxes. I was there... I was there for, I swear to you, I was there 14, I was there almost two weeks. And the city it's, of Omaha, I'm sure, loved it, right? Because they wanted. Oh, they well, that's why they did it. It's I like mean, the it was, Hotel California. You can check in, check out, yeah, and you can never leave. That's right. They don't have that kind of spirits here since 1969, which is when I checked in, as a matter of fact. Um, but, yeah, that's so exactly what So they were pulled to pull Durham over there, right? Yeah, so, oh, I can get you rain out. You need an extra day? I can get you rain out. <laughs> oh, man, we got ourselves <laughs> a quagmire. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing is. It's Omaha, and it's August or July, late July, August. They don't need a rain out because you're in Tornado Alley. The first night I'm in Omaha, I check into this mom-and-pop hotel because, you know, I don't know where the, I don't even know if they had courtyards back then, right? So I, I check into this hotel, and being a Florida guy, we, we've had some tornadoes. But let's face it, they're water spouts, right? right. Like we, you know, by the time they get over land, they go back in the cloud, and it's, you know, with few exceptions, they're not, you know, there's not a lot of major dam- not not the the five mile and ten mile swaths that you see in the Midwest. Well, you know, 
first night, long about three o'clock in the morning, I'm awoken by. Oh man! You know, it was that's not the tornado. That's the horn. Like right. they have these alarms that go off. Well, what are you supposed to do? Like, you know, I don't know where the where the shelter is. Like, is there some basement I'm supposed to go to? So it was crazy, but that one didn't you hit have, us. Uh, you should have known something was up when you checked into the motel and Helen Hunt and Bill Paxson were <laughs> next right. to you. I saw, saw a little machine outside said Dorothy on it, and I thought, what is that? For? What is that all about? I don't know what that machine's about. But, yeah, it was a cow. Um, so that That's one, that one was interesting. You talked about some of the ones that uh, you, know, you, as a columnist, you got to do some Olympics. See, that's something I never got See, to do. See, I only was... did one Olympic. I did one Olympics. I did uh, the two thousand. This is when I was at the Minneapolis Star Tribune, mm-hmm. uh, and we sent four people to the Salt Lake City Games, which was Winter Olympics, two thousand two. Yeah, the Winter Olympics mm-hmm. in two thousand two, because in Minnesota was great because we had like a ton of people from the state were there. But my oh, yeah. assignment was cover hockey. That's all you had to cover. That's all I had to cover. So I was oh, a hockey cool. guy. And it was a lot of fun because um, it, that's all I had to do. It was, but I covered the men and the women's tournament, which were basically held in, in two or three different uh, arenas. Um, I got to do a couple of other stories. I did a I was supposed to do ski jumping one day, the first event of the Olympics. It got uh, winded out. Mm. Uh, then I was supposed to do Peekaboo Street was going for the downhill. That yeah. got winded out. Um, and then I did. There was a there was a scandal with the French. Ice dancing judge and a Canadian or Canadian judge, and they traded votes or something. Or the Canadians kind of got screwed. Somebody traded votes with somebody else, the Russians or something. And uh, so I had to cover that, which was actually a lot of fun. Um, and and I think my only one A story at the Minneapolis Star Tribune. But wow. um, but the Olympics, yeah. I the good the good news that was the Olympics. It was a blast. Uh, Herb Brooks was the coach of the team. I got to know him pretty well. The bad news was you're there for 16 days. Like that was. Were you in a village been. or were you in a hotel? No, like, was in a hotel. It was almost like an extended stay America type place. Okay, um, that they found for us. It was uh, it was a hotel, but it had like a little it had like a little kitchenette and a little yeah. living room. But there's not a lot like Salt Lake City. This was 2002. <laughs> I'm sure, you cooked all your meals too. Didn't no, you? <laughs> no, I'm saying you know what I ended up eating like the the best place to go in town was a. Um, P.F. Chang's. So I bet you I ate P.F. Chang's like 11 of the 16 nights when I wasn't at the... That's, like, not, bad. That's not a bad fallback. Yeah, it wasn't a bad. O- it wasn't bad. So I in Omaha, lunch. you could have steak or, or beef. And, or steak. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. we found... T-bone we found, or ribeye, which... Right, exactly. We just, yeah. You alternated between porterhouse today. Oh, good choice. <laughs> um, and it had to have a potato with every, with every meal, including breakfast. Baked but or twice baked? Which I gained, want? yeah, I gained like... 30 pounds that summer but uh the, we thank god the one our fallback was because you did get tired of steak was the spaghetti warehouse remember those oh yeah there used remember to be one in ebor city yeah and that was that was always i think that was also one of those places where you could eat all day for one price if i'm not mistaken yeah but, yeah yeah no i um, i that was the olympics might have been that might have been my favorite do you have a favorite like a favorite event <laughs> I, I don't, or you know, either a single I game mean, or a series. Well, there's, or, we talked about games. We can obviously talk about those, except that that usually when you're doing, and I've done a lot of Super Bowls, but when you're doing those, the deadlines are so bad that you don't look back on them fondly. <laughs> I mean, in terms right. of, you know, you're, you're excited to be there, and there's nothing like it, right? You're Here you are at a Super Bowl, you know, and it's goosebump city. I mean, I still say the the great the greatest moment for me, um, one of the greatest moments was 
uh, was the Super Bowl that uh, Whitney Houston sang the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Bills and the Giants and, and just the whole backdrop, right, of the Gulf War and, and all that was going on. I think it's the first time that I'd ever had a security check going into a stadium. Think about yeah, that. Wow. It was a long time ago. Like 91, it was, right? Or 90? Yeah, it was like a black, yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. It was like the Black Hawk helicopter hovering above. It was. It was a little different, to say the very least. It was surreal. But you knew in an instant, you know, with all the American flags handed out in the stadium and and that rendition, which is still regarded as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of any sport of all time, um, was unbelievable. I mean, it was it was really something. Um, but, no, I, I think, you know, the, we've had the uh, the ability to go do some, some different – go to different places. And the most interesting one, you know, the Bucks won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 37 in 2002. And some people forget that the next year, of course, they, they did not have a good season. They got off start really well. But the next year they had five preseason games because one of those was what they used to call the American Bowl Series. And, and a lot of times they take the Super Bowl champion from the previous year and go abroad and in this particular game, it was in Tokyo, Japan, mm. at the Tokyo Dome, which, I mean, I'm here to tell you, a kid from Robinson Drive was not going to find himself <laughs> in Tokyo one day, right, covering football. But we did, and uh, and that team had, as you know, just a ton of characters with with Rice and Keyshawn and Sapp and you know Brooks and Lynch and all those guys. Um, and they were Super Bowl champions, you know. So – it, it was almost – I mean, it was the, – the story was not – had nothing to do with the preseason game. I can't remember even who they played. I think it might have been the Jets. Uh, I believe it was the New York Jets. But uh, that was inconsequential. It was more about following these Super Bowl champions coming from all over all walks of life. In their first trip, many of them, most of them, uh, to Japan and the cultural differences and sort of – you know, um, discovering Tokyo together, you know. Um, and so that that was a real – first of all, if if you've ever traveled abroad, and, and I, most people that are listening to this have done way more than I have. Tom, have you ever crossed the international date line before? I, I don't think so. Because there's deadlines, right? I mean, you can go as far as Hawaii, and it's six hours from the East Coast. Right. That's a big. That's a big difference, right? I've done Pro Bowls in Hawaii where there's a six-hour time difference. So basically everything you file is early out there, but late back in the States. When you cross the international date line, it's like the it's a day before. <laughs> so it's like back so, to the future, like going So to- you're yeah, you're you're on Monday and they're still back on Sunday night, you know, and you're already doing something Monday afternoon. Which was great <laughs> because you could literally cover that game at night, go to bed, get up the next morning and write it. Yeah. And still make deadline for for the next day's paper. But you the what inevitably what, what happens is that you have no idea what time it is. Right. Not just where you're at, but certainly not where you came from. Anywhere on earth, yeah. No right. Like you can't it's not like hey, it's the West Coast so it's 3 hours in New York, that means it's 9 here so it's 12. No, no, no. No, it's a different day. That's okay, weird. that's weird. I, I so, get freaked out by an hour's difference. I know, right? Central like, time zone, yeah. Yes, yeah, Central Time will do that, but but when you cross the dateline, so what happens is you really don't sleep because I was te- I was petrified that I was miscalculating things, 
and was going to miss deadline by actually going to bed so I would wake up four hours later. So I averaged about four hours a night of sleep, and I couldn't tell you what day I went to bed and what day I woke up. Right. But it was just one of those deals. But following those guys around Japan was really fun. I did this story. It was one of the better headlines, and they stole it from my story. But um, So, you know, the, the whole goal was how can I how can I follow these guys around Tokyo, right? And so one day I, I convinced Warren Sapp – I said, "Hey man, what are you doing? I have to have a story. Like we got, we had a photographer with us. As a matter of fact, mm. I think Tony Sandys might have gone with me. Yeah, I remember. And her. Uh, yeah. I think she did. As a matter of fact, and uh, we needed pictures. You know, I mean, we're in Tokyo with a Super Bowl team. There's still a lot of buzz about them. You know, in the next fall. So I told Sap, "Hey man, don't blow me. I have to meet you in the lobby. You know, are you guys going to do anything? He's, yeah, man, we're going to go for sushi or something like that. Me and." Simeon and somebody else. I was like, perfect. I said, what time are you going? Well, he says, we're going to go about 12 or you know noon. And again, I didn't know what time it was, so that was a problem. So I'm in the lobby with Tony Sandy. Like, we're there an hour and a half before he's supposed to come downstairs because I cannot miss this guy, right? So sure enough, um, about the time he said he was coming, that he comes out. And rather than stop and say, okay, we're leaving now, we're going, no, no, no. Typical Warren Sapp blows right by me like he had never spoken to me before. And he goes to the cab and him and Rice um, jump into a cab. And we're like, we don't know where they're going. Like he didn't tell us the sushi house, right? So we jump in the cab behind him. And it's one of those <laughs> follow, follow that, that cab. cab. <laughs> Except <laughs> it's in Japan. But I don't know how to say. I don't know say how to follow that cab in Japanese. But somehow he figured it out. And so... But it ends up being, it ends up being like a speed, like a race through Tokyo. Like it, it was like a video game, right? <laughs> These cars are just whizzing by, and so uh, thank gosh, and, and, and nobody was hurt. But there was a, a motor scooter scooter accident, hmm. and a, and so we had to slow down, or we caught them. We wouldn't have ever caught them otherwise. And there was about twenty four Japanese policemen, sort of taking crime scenes of this poor little motor scooter that fell over. Uh, so we followed them to the sushi house. And, and I mean, I don't know if you, do you eat sushi at all? Do you eat tuna? Very, you uh, eat I have, I don't, it's not my, you're favorite. not a fan. No, I wasn't a fan either. Um, but goodness gracious, I was going to eat it that day. And so I imagine walked, it's better there than it is here. But well, maybe not. Let, maybe it's well no, 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 you're correct. You are correct, sir. <laughs> it's eh, freshly caught. It's, it, Literally, we're outside, and the the cab lets us out, and and I'm walking towards this place. You could smell the fresh tuna from outside to the point where, and I'm not, I was not a sushi guy at this point. Your mouth is watering. It smells so good. Mm. It's so fresh. So you walk in, um, you know, it's an impeccable place. It was just really a cool place. It, it was early in the afternoon, so I don't think there were many people there. Um, and we sat at the, I guess what you'd say, the bar, the sushi bar, whatever. And these guys, like Sap, had eaten sushi before, so he was kind of he kind of knew what to order. Uh, and he ordered everything. Like he ordered this bowl of stuff that, even by Jap, especially by Japanese standards, was a lot of food, right? Um, like a terrarium of seafood, if you will. Or, or an aquarium, not a terrarium. Right. Aquarium of seafood. What was I? What am I thinking? Plants. An aquarium of seafood. So he's got all this stuff. And Sap uh, uh, Rice, meanwhile, was a, did not want any of it. 
Like he was not a sushi guy. They asked him if he wanted like the soup. No, he didn't want it. He just sat there in amazement. And, and, you know, when you see a 300 and something pound dude in Japan, that's not a sumo wrestler. That's a, an African-American football player. It could be a shock even to the Japanese. And uh, it was funny because one of the waitresses, she looked, I looked over and, and she, she caught my eye and she saw what Sap was eating and he had two of these bowls. And and she kind of like made the universal sign where your cheeks blow up. Oh, like, yeah. That's a big dude. Yeah, I'm sure it's like eating like somebody ordering three steaks. Yeah, right. Exactly. And yeah. so, uh, but it was funny. So at the end of the day, um, this is all in it. So, so the, the story was about that, the race through Tokyo and all that. And the the headline was Sap, Sushi, and Rice. Oh, that's which good. I, which I thought worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So that's we did really- other things. We we went and tried to uh, Keyshawn Johnson tried to buy a pair of shoes for Chris Sims because they had a banquet that night. And what we found out is you couldn't find a pair of shoes in Tokyo over a size nine. Oh wow! Just didn't happen. <laughs> They're smaller people in general, right. but yeah. I didn't. Uh, I've you know I did a couple trips overseas. I, I did a you know went to Russia with Vinny Lecavier. Um, Which I still can't believe you got on one of those airlines. Uh, man. Oh, it was crazy. Oh, it was. I, somebody told me later, like if you'd have known what happened, like if, if you'd you knew known, now, mm-hmm. that plane was like you'd have been scared to death. And I actually same thing. Got in a car with. Vinny LeCavier and Freddie Brathwaite, who was a goalie. Me and Dirk Shad, photographer from the Times, crammed in this little mm-hmm. – like, I don't even Yacht. know what it was. Like, yeah, basically. Yeah. And and driving through snow, like, you know, plows on – plowed snow on the side, banging into it as you're turning corners and stuff. And then going to a – same thing. Went to, a, like, a sushi, like, Japanese steakhouse type place. and In Russia. In Russia. In Kazan, Russia. Mm-hmm. And – Having no idea how to order, and Vinny LeCavier, and I were there with like half the team. You're ordering sushi, but you're doing it in Russian. <laughs> right. And except except we didn't want sushi, but Ilya Kovalchuk, who's a longtime NHL player, he yeah. ordered for Vinny, just Vinny LeCavier looked at me and said, hey, can you order for all of us? And he's like, what do you guys like? And we're like, I'm like, not sushi. So he ended up bringing, <laughs> they brought some sort of chicken thing that was actually pretty good. There you go. But um, I think my favorite event that I've, Ever cover was the 2003 American League Championship Series between the Yankees and the Red Sox. It was mm. a great series. That was the one where Don Zimmer got, th- got thrown, got thrown down by Pedro Martinez. Like, right? We're watching this at the press box at, at at Fenway, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable!" <laughs> so, and then that, and I was uh, traveling with Scott Carter was with the Tampa Tribune then. Yeah. So he and I were going back and forth. Uh, between Boston and New York, and we were going by uh, train, so it was a lot of fun. But wow, that's that, cool. Yeah, so the uh, th- that series ended on a game seven with uh, Aaron Boone hit the home run in the bottom of the Aaron 12th Ble- inning. Aaron bleeping Boone. That's no, right in, in Boston. Yeah, I'm sure. And then the only thing that the thing that I remember about most about that is, and they still do it t- to this day, I guess. But they hit the home run. It's like twelve thirty or twelve fifteen or so. I uh, I have like till twelve thirty to get the the story in, and as soon as the home run goes into the stand, you've written most of your story, but now you're trying to come up with a really good lead and everything. The and Aaron Boone, what happened? And they start playing the uh, New York, New York in the stadium. So it you know it started like dun 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 dun, dun, dun and everybody starts singing, and it comes to an end finally, and it goes, "It's up to you, New York, New York," and the song ends. And you wait about three seconds, and then it goes, dun, 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 and it plays it again. They played that song 12 times, I swear, as you're trying to write this story. And all you're hearing in your head is 
Frank Sinatra singing New York, New York. Somehow I got the story in and it was, um, but that was probably my favorite. That's probably the favorite story I've ever done. That's a great one in a great World Series, right? I mean, they went on to play the, uh, the Marlins. I believe the Yankees went on to play the Marlins. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then um, yeah. So and then the next year is when the Red Sox came back from you know being. That's uh, right. That's being right. Three three zero down and came back and went. But yeah, the year before was when when Aaron. But all in my head for the next two weeks, I, every you know, just New York, New York was going through my head the whole time. You just wanted to wake up in a city that never slept. <laughs> I'm sure. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the lightning playoff runs were fun, and, like, some of our road trips were fun with the Bucks. But you but- used to, I mean, the, 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 thing about, the thing about hockey that, and I never covered hockey. It's the one sport that I managed not to write. Um, not, not because I don't like it. It's just no one needed me. Uh, the, the thing well, about hockey. your season, was, too, was football. Yeah, it was fall. The, the thing is, is that you're in really cold, cold Canadian places. Yeah. Right. I mean, like crazy cold. Like that's your travel was to the Northlands. I mean, yeah, no, like I'd been to Winnipeg, the corner of Portage and Maine, which is like supposedly the coldest spot in North America, whatever. Um, but it was that's always fun because you go for like a you go for like a, you know, a two or three days and then you come back to the nice weather again. You know, That's so true. It's never, it's never horrible. When I, you know, those years I lived in Minnesota. I was gonna say, wasn't uh, like you were living there. Well, you know what's so funny? I remember, I, I remember my last road trip covering the Lightning, and I was getting ready to move to Minnesota as soon as the season was over. I, I took the job like in February, but I finished out the season, and we were the the Lightning were in Ottawa for the final game of the season, and they had a. This was April like seventh. And they had like a 15-inch snowstorm in Ottawa. Oh we're, so we're leaving. It's freezing. It's a horrible. We have trouble getting out of town. I, I flew back with the Lightning on their charter. And we land back in Tampa, and it's like 70 degrees when we hit the ground, like at 2 a.m. And somebody looked at me and was like, what are you thinking? What Are you Are you really going to do this? You're really going to move away from this? And I was like, yeah, I'm crazy. It's- you know, you know it's, uh, my, my, I had several experiences in Minnesota that uh, I, I could not believe both how much snow or how cold it was um, either, either time. Of course, the Super Bowl in Minnesota a few years ago, I think it was below, it was colder than Antarctica one day. And that's not an exaggeration. Right. Antarctica was warmer than it was in Minneapolis that day. In fact, there were warning people, do not go outside, which was tough because you still had to walk inside from outside. Um, but I remember, and it just was a quirk. It, only this would happen to Tampa Bay. You know, the Bucks were in the old NFC, uh, Norris division, uh, the NFC North, and they would have to play up there every year. And so invariably they would get, you know, the December game in Minneapolis. And we went up there one year, and I think you can look this up, Tom, because you may recall it. Uh, I don't think you lived there at the time, but it was the the largest three day North American snowfall uh, mm. in in Minnesota that weekend. Wow! I want to say they got over forty inches of snow in three days. Like some something stupid like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you can't even yeah, yeah. calculate. It was just it's entirely possible. I'm sure it happened. And yeah. yet they didn't shut the city completely down. Like it was like they had one runway was still working. Like how how does this like how much snow can you plow, right? Um, and so we came in and we were like one of the last flights, and you and, and you could not see where the, usually when you're landing you see like a black runway, right? And there was nothing beneath you but snow. So we hit it and it was kind of poof, you know, and you, you land. 
And then I remember um, asking, and this was before Uber, I remember asking, were there any cabs running? And she said, <laughs> no. And I said, well, okay, well, what about, um, how am I supposed to get downtown? She goes, if you, I don't know. She goes, you know, the snows, the roads are not good. I mean, they're, you know, they're plowed, but like there's a bunch of snow out there. And I ended up renting a car. Oh my gosh. You're kidding me. You rented a car? A guy, rented a car <laughs> and I had driven in snow in, in college in Arkansas, but not like this, right? Not, not this kind of packed snow. And it was just, and the thing is there were drifts, you know, it was blowing sideways across and they were so high. Even when they would plow them, there was such a mountain of snow on either side that it took, you know, that drive from uh, the Minneapolis airport's typically about a half hour to downtown. Yeah. Two hours. Oh, my gosh. Two hours I can't of believe white you did that. knuckle. You, I did, yeah, I did I was going to say white knuckle because I lived in White Minnesota. knuckle the whole way. And a lot of people listen to this podcast are from up north and they've driven sure. in snow. But I lived there for three years. I've been through a lot of stressful things in my life like oh, everybody has. Yeah. Nothing in, in life has been more stressful for me. Than driving in snow. I went, it was one time years ago, obviously when I was living there, um, I met Don Banks at yeah. uh, Joe Sensor. Remember Joe Sensor, the old tight Joe Sensor's, yeah. He has, a, he has a couple of like, uh, he's like a chain of restaurants, bars. So I met Don. It was like a, might have been like a Monday night football game or something. Don like went that. up to cover the Minnesota Vikings, left the Times to go work right. for the Star So he was game. living up there. He lived about, mm, I don't know, half hour away from me. And so we would meet in between every now and then. There was a Joe Sensors in between our houses. Mm-hmm. More closer to him than me because I remember I had a little bit of a longer drive. And it was one of those things where you went in and it wasn't – there was no bad weather predicted. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, we split some nachos or whatever. And we years. leave and it's snowing sideways. And I'm like, oh, how do I get – and it was the <laughs> scariest thing I'd ever been through. Like I had to drive up. And it's one of those things where you're coming down this big hill towards a bridge and it's like four lanes – but you can't see any of the lanes, and it, like, there's like 17 cars going. They're like everybody's just. It looked like speed racer. Like it was just everybody was just exactly all over the place, and it was you know. So um, yeah, it seemed like that always happened when we go there or Chicago. One time uh, in Chicago, they played a game. I think it's still one of the coldest games they've ever played. Uh, the night before, I remember. I want to say if it was if it was zero or, or or if it was single digits, it was just barely above zero. But the night before, I remember it was like sixteen below in Chicago, and a friend of mine who came with me uh, had an extra ticket to the game. Oh, <laughs> and so he was trying to get. And even the people from Chicago and the Bears were good back then. They didn't want any part of it. They're like, "Are you kidding? I'm not going to Soldier Field." I want to say they that that they probably had twenty. 2,000 people in this in off the lake that day that actually came to the game. That's how cold it was. Um, and this was always happening whenever Tampa Bay. Of course, you remember this. I, I, I didn't cover them then, but the Steve Young um, Green Bay game. <laughs> he almost he just, died, right? He couldn't, couldn't breathe because he had so much snow in his face mask. Um, but, yeah, there's – I mean, there's been a bunch of them. It's not all powerboat regattas. We've had a lot of fun. Uh, I know. Years, it's the you know the powerboat regattas are. It's uh, you complain about them then, but when you look back, I think I'd rather be there sometimes than when I, I know was sitting in a cold stadium or an open air stadium somewhere. Oh man, some of those press boxes were like that too. The old vet was like that. As a matter of fact. Oh, my. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So uh, it was a fun, fun trip down misery lane here with you. And uh, we'll certainly do more of that uh, as, the, as the days go on, I'm sure, the years. Hey, I wanted to ask you. Uh, so now we've got uh, we're well past the elections. Uh, you mentioned, you know, your interview with Katie Couric is on pointer.org. Um, I guess the political season is is not really gone away, but it's certainly, uh, how would you say, less uh, slower pace, maybe? Yeah, a little or? bit slower pace. It was funny that you mentioned it because I was um, the, uh, you know, there Paul Fari, who is, writes media for the Washington Post, mm-hmm. actually look at the numbers, and then there was this talk about maybe being a a Trump slump. They they were going to call it the uh, mm-hmm. without Trump being president that. Uh, the news less would quiet viewers. down. Mm-hmm. Everything would quiet down. And, and it has. It turned out to be true that there are less cable news viewers these days. Um, yeah. Web traffic for the national sites like the New York Times, Washington Post is down slightly. Now, you know, things obviously have cranked back up a little bit politically the last few days with the, the shootings uh, in Colorado and, and in Atlanta and talk about gun control and that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, there's there's been a little bit of a uh, – it's – you know, it's funny. I – uh, I was listening to Brian Stelter, who's the CNN. Um, right. Uh, and media guy. Media guy, yeah, and hosts mm-hmm. Reliable Sources. He did a podcast with Jimmy Traina from Sports Illustrated. He, he has a sports media podcast. And they yeah. were talking about with Trump no longer in there. And he has a nightly newsletter, Brian Stelter does. And yeah. he said, it's, you know, now it used to be, you know, back when Trump was president, like, you almost knew what your lead was going to be every night. Yeah. And now he says, now it's like, I got like five or six choices of like I could go either way. And I noticed the same thing. And I wrote about that the other day. And I said, yeah, on most days you couldn't avoid something that Trump said or did or tweeted. Now it's like, oh, I could write about this. I could write about this. And I actually got a note from Stelter who said like, yeah, it's nice to have choices for a change. Like it's you're not just chasing like some crazy thing that that Trump had to say. So, yeah, uh, well, it's it's I can't really compare it because. Politically, obviously, if you're covering the White House or the president or just writing national news or about the media, that's that's going to be your focus. But like um, there were there's been many years, you know, you would always say, well, this coach or this player is going to write you 12 leads a year, which was a good thing. Covering Tom Brady, um, he just writes you something every day. You know, it's sort of it's sort of like I don't remember what it was like to not have a celebrity quarterback, but those guys are few and far between. But when you got one, like his social media, like he can he can post anything and you're going to write about it because it's it's either that interesting or that many people care about it, and and it's sort of the same thing, you know. It's like you're taking a little breath between seasons, but you know what's coming. And somebody told me I was talking to a writer in Boston. He goes, "Yeah, you're probably going to have because you know he came last year and it was newsy, right? I mean, he signed with the Bucks and then did, but there was you know the pandemic and and he couldn't work out and that sort of thing, but." This year, uh, and it hasn't really ramped up quite yet, but it's he says you know covering covering Brady in the off season is almost almost as as frequent as you you write about him as you do during a regular season because he has so many things he does and 
you know, so I can imagine it's not it's, a great parallel, but no, but it is. It's it's when you think about Tom Brady, Rick, and we've talked a little bit about this before. By far, the most famous athlete in Tampa Bay sports history. I don't even no know question. who's like like if he's at a ten, the next guy is at like a five or a Agree. four. I don't even know who before Brady who was the biggest deal. I guess I mean we always came down. I always thought it was one of two guys. I was, like in terms of like career accomplishments. Yeah. And that sort of thing. And guys who played here for most of their careers or, or, or played significant time here, not like a tail end just coming in. But, but I always thought it was, well, three guys. Sapp, Derek Brooks, Marty mm-hmm. St. Louis. I mean, mm-hmm. those guys, they were MVPs or defensive players of the year, Hall won championships. But I don't know that they moved the needle nationally. I, nobody was talking, with all due respect, nobody was talking about on on back in the day, Mike and Mike, they weren't talking no. about Marty St. Louis every morning or even Derek Brooks, no, no. who's one of the great all-time football players. Mm-hmm. You, today, I mean, Steven Samkos is, a, is a, an elite player, one of the greatest. Evan Longoria was a great player in Tampa Bay. Those guys aren't – they aren't the lead story on Get Up or Around the Horn or – Right. Tom Brady is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's in, – and marketable, you know, he's – whether he's selling watches, movies, or, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, he's always got something that's going on. He'll do an interview. Like he did one just the other day with his this company that uh, he sells watches for, and it's a sit-down with James Corden. You know, like it's, it's you know, uh, and you have to watch it because he might say something that's newsworthy. So He was um, in Ted, too, right? He was on. Yeah, he's been, he's, yeah, he he's was done on, movies. He's, done, he's been in Family Guy. You mm-hmm. know, it's like. Celebrity quarterback. Th- yeah. Yeah. And it's, but it's good because it's it's obviously good for business. He's he's sold a lot of subscriptions for us, and you can't if you write the words Tom Brady, a lot of people are going to read it, and and usually, usually it's fascinating stuff. Usually it's it's stuff that, um, you know that you want to read about him. But I don't know how much longer he's going to do it, Tom. I mean, it's ah, unbelievable. It's a shame. I was the I was the most famous Tom in Tampa Bay sports until he came along and I know. I he has the title. Of He's got it now. So, all right, well, we'll check you out in uh, pointer.org. Check out Tom's newsletter. And uh, thanks for coming on a couple days again this week. Yeah, it's been fun. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, man. Thank you to Tom Jones for joining the podcast today and earlier this week as well. We hope you enjoyed this week of podcasting from Sports Day Tampa Bay. Uh, this weekend, the Rays wrap up their final spring training weekend before the opening day is on Thursday at Florida. USF has their spring game at Raymond James Stadium at noon on Saturday. And the lighting will be in action at Carolina Saturday night at 7 o'clock. For Tom Jones and Rick Stroud, I'm Steve Ersnick. Have a great day, everybody. 